everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Let me ask you another question. Have you considered which metrics you need to be focusing on when it comes to evaluating the investment properties you're getting involved in? Probably not as much as you should. Probably not as much as our guest today, Chris Larson, does. So our guest, Chris, is a very accomplished real estate entrepreneur, author, podcast host. He's got an amazing podcast show. He's in multifamily. He's been syndicating. He's been doing a lot of different things. And he's actually branched out into a, a variety of different investment classes recently. So, And he knows a lot about which metrics to focus on. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Dave, it's great to see you again. Thank you. All right, my friend. So before we jump into metrics, let me just pick your brain. At the sure. time that we're recording this, it's late summer of 2022. Recession is the word that's kind of floating around. People are Some people are trying to avoid it. Some people are embracing it. I think the general public's starting to buy into it. What are your thoughts on the current market situation? What's going on? What's going to be happening? How long we might be in this this cycle, that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, I think this is a this is a great combination topic, Dave. When it comes to like property metrics, because and I, look, I'm a nerd. In all transparency, like I yeah, I was on the math team when I was younger, and I didn't get I didn't get cool until I started racing bicycles and shaving my legs when I was a teenager. That's like you know that's the height. I was in the marching hey, hey, band. Where, where I like, come from, shaving yeah. legs was not all that cool, but I. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, I was in the marching band. So and I ultimately got an engineering degree. So I'm I'm a numbers guy. And you know, I always I always kind of look at the numbers because I don't really trust myself to make a decision if I don't understand the numbers behind it. And more specifically, I look at big trends. So, you know, I, I say, okay, you know, what are the metrics? What are the things that we can look at? to really bet on over the course of 5, 10, 20 years. And that's why I like value-add real estate because right. you can do that for 20 years and the little small cycles or the small downturns don't make a huge difference. But to answer your question, if we go back in history, and I love I love reading about finance and real estate history, like talk about you know dry material, but I like to see the patterns involved. And I think the reason is I lived it. I saw my parents during the savings and loan crisis lose both their jobs. I was in school during 9-11 and I watched kind of the downturn occur. I lost my internship during the tech pullback when the, the tech stocks and NASDAQ crashed massively, like over 70%. And I was, I was trading as well at the time. So I was very acutely aware of what was going on. I watched my real estate portfolio go down in value in 2008. I watched my friends, some of them lose everything in the ensuing, you know, great recession. And then I saw what happened during the pandemic. And I actually, in late 2019, I started telling people we need to be careful of 2020. I didn't say, hey, there's going to be some virus that comes out of a lab or out of a bat or whatever, whatever you think. Although we could talk a lot about the data behind that, which we're not going to get into. But if you go back in time, these are cycles that have repeated since we have been recording real estate and finance history. And if you if you average it out, the cycle repeats itself every 18.6 years, 18.6 years. So everybody wants to know, where are we right now? Mm -hmm. Well, you measure the cycle from the bottom of the last cycle, which is 2012. 
And then the top of the next cycle is about 14 years later. So if you measure from there, in my opinion, we have about another three to maybe four years at the at the later part, years to go in this cycle. And people say, but Chris, we just had like COVID and, you know, there's always a mid-cycle slowdown. The mid-cycle slowdown in the previous cycle was after 9-11. People say, well, that was due to 9-11. Well, there's always a crisis. There's always something that can occur and the government intervenes and, and things go down. But I think if you look at the trends, I just read an article this morning and it's talking about billionaires buying up land and land is now at record highs. Does that sound like we're in some depths of like real estate despair? I still think that as credit expands, and that's where this comes from, Dave, yeah. is, is land prices increase, credit expands. And remember, banks can lend out 10 times what they have on deposit. So as credit expands, that helps real estate prices expand. And I think now is a great time to be fully invested, but also be cautious and make sure you are watching those metrics, making sure you have proper cash flows, proper loan to values, making sure you're buying high quality properties and not getting too crazy as people say, oh, I can just make money no matter what when it comes to real estate like they've done before. So if if I'm understanding you, Correctly, Chris, you're, you know, a lot of people are kind of predicting doom and gloom right now in 2022. And you're saying we're probably three years out from, you know, what, really hitting the fan. That's my opinion. Yeah. I think, again, I don't have a crystal ball. Of course, do not. your own no, due diligence. Yeah. But again, according to history, I think, I think that we have another few years to go in this cycle. And then what do you foresee happening in those three years? Not holding you to it, but I mean, with your with your your version of the crystal ball what do you kind of foresee happening then? yeah yeah so now history typically doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes as they say right yeah. so yeah let's say three four years from now you know if if we have a pullback specifically in the real estate market and usually you can tell like the stock market which predicts the future right we price the future with the stock market so the stock market will typically peak slightly before so if you're trying to figure out the timing on this Watch for a stock market peak. Some may say it's already peaked. I would say if if the market comes back up at the end of this year and continues up, you know, then you can say, well, Chris sounds like he's making some sense now, but watch for it to peak again. So the question I, is, how, how does one even yeah. know when it has peaked? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll we'll know. Like we'll know. We'll say, okay, it's it's crap. Like we had it, we had a peak here earlier this year, right? And it's mm -hmm. it's coming back down. So look for, I would say look for another peak. We still have very high valuations in the stock market. But look, I can't tell you what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. But what I can tell you is typically housing prices, like residential housing prices pull back, you know, cap rates start to expand during that time. So then the question is, how do you look at the metrics and determine what type of properties yeah. are good, high quality properties that are going to be resistant to recessions or pullbacks? Yeah, it was okay. So perfect. So what are your thoughts on that? Because we were yeah. talking a little bit off camera that you've got into some yeah. different asset classes. It yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. So what does a recession resistant asset class look like for Chris Larson? That's a fascinating idea. Hold that thought for a second. Hi there, this is Dave Debo, and real estate investors hire me to raise capital the right way. Why? Because most of them are stuck with too small of a portfolio, and they don't know how to attract investors and raise money for their deals. So I help them to connect, capture, and close their ideal money partners. 
Bottom line, when you've got a deal, you're going to have the capital to do it. So go ahead and book a no-cost capital clarity session with me at bookachatwithdave.com. Again, that's bookachatwithdave.com. Yeah, so I, mean, I should have mentioned this at the top of the uh, top of the episode here. If you're listening, you can get a free copy of my book. I dive into a lot of our strategy at nextlevelincome.com. Just click mm-hmm. on the book link. And if you put your address in, I'll even send you a copy as well. But we'll, so first, we'll make sure we got that in the show notes as well there, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, you want to be in an asset class that has a nice tailwind. And that's why I brought up my book. I talk in my book about the rising tide, right? So residential real estate apartments. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening. You might've seen the recent data that came out here just in the past month, which talks about, we need about four and a half million. I think it was 4.6 million units over the next 10 or so years, just to satisfy demand. People may say, why do we need so many more units? And the reason is we basically stopped building after the great recession. And even when we started building again, we've been building a lot recently we just have not caught up and we're not going to catch up for for quite a while here. So being in residential real estate is great. I love multifamily. And I think that, you know, if you look at areas to invest, we'll kind of go top down. So we'll say, all right, from a high level, you want to be in an investment sector that has some tailwinds to it. Then you say, what areas, like regional areas, do you want to be in? One of my favorite areas to go is United Van Lines annual survey. They say, hey, where are people moving? Okay. It may not surprise people listening that people are moving out of like California, New York, Chicago, you know, high tax, low quality of life states where, you know, it costs a lot to live. The weather might not be that great. And where are they moving? The Sunbelt areas, Texas, Florida. And that's where the majority of these new units are needed are in those areas, as well as the Southeast, which are some of our favorite areas. And then you say, okay, terrific. You're in a segment where people, where there's undersupply, you're in an area of the country where people are moving. How do you figure out what makes a good investment? And you want to be in an area that has all of those characteristics and more. So let me give you an example. I invested in a property, an apartment Um, about 10 years ago in Houston. Houston was largely dominated at the time by the oil industry. Now they're much more diverse. They have a lot of medical and other stuff. What happened happened to the housing market there when the oil prices crashed? It crashed as well. And that was really tough in 2015. Our property underperformed over the ensuing few years Mm -hmm. because there wasn't a lot of diversity. So now... I like I'm back in Houston from an investment perspective, but I would rather be in an area like I'm trying to fit, pick one of our recent favorites, like Nashville, for instance. Okay. Nashville has music, it has tourism, it has a huge medical industry. It also has ancillary industries around medical. It has entrepreneurs that are moving there. So that's that's a great thing. Then you also want to say, okay. How you know? How do we look? And I'm I'm going down here. You can stop me anytime, Dave. No, this is all good stuff. This is yeah. These are the metrics we need to be paying attention to. Yeah. Again, when it comes to multifamily, if you look at the cost to buy a home in terms of monthly payments, it's up over thirty percent over the last year. Yeah. But the cost to rent is only up about half that. And it might be say thirty five percent in one area, and the cost to rent is up fifteen or eighteen or twenty percent in another area. But that's good, right? You have people that want to continue to rent because it, it makes more sense. 
to do that. So again, you know, if you kind of go from top down and we look at over two dozen different metrics when it comes to multifamily, but what's more important to note is that in my book, I talk about multifamily, but I really talk about a value add strategy. You know, so you said, Dave, Hey, you're in these other asset classes. Mm -hmm. We haven't really changed strategy. We just take our strategy and we say, Hey, how can we apply this to other assets as well? And repeat the same. And I call it kind of like the Warren Buffett strategy of investing. So what are some of the other asset classes that you guys are getting involved in these days? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a huge fan of real estate. As anybody that's listened or talked to me at any point knows, I've been investing since I was 21 when I bought my first property. But we like self-storage as well. Mm -hmm. Self-storage tends to be even more recession resistant than multifamily housing. Yeah. And when you think about yeah, it, because we, we don't like to get rid of our junk, do we? <laughs> we <laughs> don't people. And it blows my mind. It really, you know, you lose the house, but you keep the junk. It's mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. We just like our stuff in America. And again, look, I'm not here to argue like for or against stuff, right. but I don't well, argue. I, I would suggest you want to argue for stuff because you're the self-storage. <laughs> so, I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to argue the point. Okay. I'll just, I'll just say, Hey, this is how it is. But you know, what's nice about self-storage is you may be paying $1,500 a month for rent in an apartment, but maybe you're only paying $150 a month for a self-storage unit. So if rent goes up, say a hundred or $200 a month, you're like, that's a lot of money. I might move down the street, mm -hmm. but if if your self storage company raises rents ten bucks and it's automatically billed on your credit card, yeah. are you really going to spend all weekend moving your crap like probably down not. the road to it? Probably not. Yeah. And it's a convenience thing, so we can take a lot of the same metrics and apply those to self storage. I'm very well, yeah. And, and then my speaking to a few other self storage folks, one of the yeah. beautiful things that so many of them love about it is they they're pretty much getting the same rent per square foot for a self-storage unit right. as an apartment without, you know, it's just a, it's a tin box basically, right? You don't, you don't have oh, any yeah. amenities or toilets or water yeah. or much in the way of electricity, none of that kind of stuff to worry about. Yeah. Well, and the cool thing is, and this is our strategy, what we do is we go in and we use a lot of technology these days. And this is something that really, it's one of those things where you don't, you don't think it until somebody kind of shares it with you. But people said, oh, Chris, most people would prefer not to have a manager on site. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I would want a manager on site. And they said, well, think about this. If you're a middle-aged woman and you drive out to a self-storage place, would you want some sketchy dude at the front desk like talking to you? Or would you rather drive up, enter your code, have a very secure, gated and security camera site You know, where there aren't a bunch of people around you know, it's very secure, almost like it's almost like a prison, right? It's very secure. You check in at a kiosk. You don't have to interact with anyone. I mean, look, if I'm going, I had a self-storage place. I was busy. I was like, I don't need to talk to somebody. Just let me in. Let me get my stuff and let me get out. And I could go on the weekend. I could go during the day. If somebody was in the bathroom or, you know, was in the middle of their Netflix movie, they didn't want to look up from, I didn't have to worry about that. Yeah. So a lot of mom and pops that we're buying from Dave, they they manage their their stuff or they have an on-site manager and we can save a lot of money and also appeal to customers by doing that. So yeah. that's, that's yeah, fascinating, right? You wouldn't think, you wouldn't think so from the outset, but it yeah. makes so much sense when you explain it that way. Yeah, it's wild. So that's another one. And then I will say this, I should have maybe spoke about this second. 
mobile home parks. So mm-hmm. mobile homes, if you look at kind of where they fall on the spectrum, mobile homes are kind of like multifamily real estate. They're very similar, you know, in terms of a lot of things. However, there's a big difference. As you go down the spectrum in multifamily, so right now we've been focused largely the past three years on class A multifamily, nicer properties built in the last 10 or so years, maybe 20 years, depending on the market. Mm-hmm. They've outperformed. However, as you go down the spectrum, older properties built in the 70s, 80s, the cap rates have compressed. So they've done very well, but the pricing is not as elastic. And what I mean is, you know, people that are making less money can't quite afford the rent increases like these class A properties. So what happens is when the economy turns down, you have higher vacancies in those properties, right? Which makes sense. But it's weird. It's almost like a U-shape. When you get into mobile homes, it goes back up and mobile home parks are very recession resistant. And again, it's kind of like self-storage. If you're only charging two or three or $400 a month lot rent and somebody owns their mobile home, they're probably going to keep paying that two or 300 bucks a month. And then if they own a mobile home that's 20 or 30 or 40 or $50,000, if that costs five or $10,000 to move, they're probably not going to spend $5,000 to move their $30,000 mobile home park to save 25 bucks a month in rent. It's just a bad trade-off, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Plus, plus yeah. I mean, it's very tough to get into mobile home parks these days for it's, a lot of people because there's not oh, very much vacancy. We have wait, whenever we have a vacancy, we have wait lists. Like it's, it's ridiculous how long these wait lists are. And like, we'll get hundreds sometimes of applicants from ads that we put in the paper. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is when we buy a mobile home park, we improve the quality. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, we do raise rents, not, not exponentially, but we raise rents, but our residents are getting more for the rent that they're more paying. For their and yeah. yeah. And they're also living in a safer, safer, cleaner community, which they like. So those are our top three right now. Excellent. Well, Chris, we could chat all day long. However, this is all a day. podcast. So if people want to find out more about you, listen to all, a lot more of your smart insights and ideas on your podcast, get your book. Is there kind of like a one-stop shop where people can kind of connect with Chris Larson? Absolutely. Nextlevelincome.com, Dave. You can check out our podcast or blog, get our book for free. And if there's anything that I mentioned that piqued your interest today, feel free to reach out at chris at nextlevelincome.com. Awesome. There you have it. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. And everybody, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.